Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, good morning. Great to see you today. You know, uh, some wonderful things happen when we gather together as God's family. Let me tell you something that happened to me um, somewhat recently. The last weekend in November, I think it was, uh, I was asked to preach at to the senior community at Krista Ministries. Many of you know Krista in the uh, North Seattle area. Uh, they have schools and radio stations, and uh, but they have a senior community there, and the chaplain there is a friend of mine and has asked me now basically on a once-a-month basis to come and preach there. There's a morning service for some of the residents, and then there's an evening service down at Christwood Park for some of the other residents there. So I was preaching there. Um, this was the last Sunday in November, and um, in the evening service, I just happened to mention in passing that um, my grandparents had been missionaries in China for about 40 years and just went on. I, I can't even remember why I, I happened to mention it, but I'm really glad I did because after the service was over, uh, people were coming up to me and thanking me for the talk that I brought that day. And then this lady came up to me. I mean, these are all older people, but this lady was especially so, 94 years old, came up with her walker uh, to me, and um, she said, my husband and I, we weren't in China, but we were in Hong Kong, close by there, ministering for many years, and I said, oh, I said, I just love Hong Kong. It's one of my favorite cities. I love visiting there, and I said, my grandparents actually ended their, their ministry in Hong Kong, where my grandfather started a school that still exists to this very day. And her eyes got really big, and she said, what was the name of that school? And I said, well, now it's called Ecclesia Theological Seminary. And her eyes got even bigger, and she said, who is your grandfather? And I said, his name was Elmer Morrison. And she said, your grandfather had a stroke in 1960. And I said, yes, how'd you know that? She says, because my husband and I moved to Hong Kong in 1960 to take his place as the president of the school that he started. And so this lady actually knew my grandparents, which is pretty amazing for me to run into somebody that I didn't even know existed. She's 94 years old. My grandparents, were they still alive, would be 125 or 130 years old. Um, and so I said, oh, I'd love to talk to you more about this. And so, so I said, I'm going to be back next week. I'm actually going to be preaching here next Sunday, too. And she said, oh, let's plan on sitting afterwards and, and comparing notes. And so we sat for about an hour and a half that next Sunday. And she had pictures of herself and her husband with my grandparents. Um, I had some things that I wanted to show her. And uh, it was just a, a gift, to, I think, both to her and certainly to me. And, um, and then she said, until about a year ago, I had your grandmother's Chinese Bible up in my room here at Krista. She said, but last year, I found some relative of yours up in Canada, which is where my grandparents were from, uh, and I mailed it to this relative up there. I said, well, who is that? And she said, that was Keith Morrison. I said, yeah, that's my uncle, my dad's youngest sibling. He's the only one that's still living. And um, so it was just, just a wonderful thing that God allowed us to meet each other. Neither of us knew that the other existed even. And uh, there we are. So all that to say, I'm not no, saying that you're going to have that dramatic of a story, but uh, it's good to come together and uh, to connect with other people and God's family. Well, today's message is called uh, What You Need When You Need It. 
And our text today is taken from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. And it's a rather long passage, so we don't have it printed out on the screen behind me today. So I want to encourage you to, uh, if you brought a Bible or a device that has a Bible on it, would you please uh, take a look at that and uh, follow along with me. 1 Kings 17, verses 1 through 16. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup of, or a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. What an amazing story. And I believe there's some principles found in this story that we can apply to our lives and learn from today. So let me share those with you today. The first one is this, is that God loves to provide, but his provision may come in a way that is very different than you imagined. God is our Father. We call him Father God. And fathers love to provide for their kids. I have four kids, and I love just to, to bless them and give to them. Even though they're adults now, uh, my desire to give to them has not diminished, I don't think at all. Yesterday was one of my daughter, Lindsay, it was her birthday, and just love to give to her. We had four of our grandkids spend the night at our house on Friday night, and uh, I just love to, to bless these kids and to give to them. They wear me out, but uh, they're, they're, they're great. We, uh, grandchild number 11, by the way, is due in, uh, in April. So the number keeps climbing. It's great. But our Father loves to give to us. And I want to ask you to consider your own life right now. What is it that you need most in your life right now? I hope that you'll just stop and consider that for a minute. What do you need most from the Lord? Maybe you'd say, I need a job. Or maybe you'd say, I need the Lord to heal me physically or emotionally. Maybe your answer would be that you need a friend. Or it might relate to your finances. You have a need there. 
Maybe you need hope for the future. Your father loves to provide. Look at the scripture that's on the screen behind me from Psalm 23, that familiar psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Verse 5 of that psalm says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So even in difficult times, when we feel like there's adversity in our life or adversaries, God prepares a table before us. A couple other scriptures that speak to this desire of God to bless us and give to us. Psalm 11, verse 5, or 111, verse 5. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. And then 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So God loves to provide, but how God provides for us sometimes blows our mind. I mean, Elijah could have never dreamed the food delivery system that God put in place for him. What a bizarre story. But when you stop and think about it, and if you, if you know much about Bible and, and the stories contained in the Bible, God provided food for people in very unique ways over the years. Long before Elijah was around, we know the, the people of Israel pr were provided for by this stuff called manna that showed up on the ground every morning. And then God said, I'd like to give you more than that too. And so he brought quail into their encampment and uh, they were able to have some meat along with this manna that God provided. And then of course, many years after Elijah lived, we have the story in the Bible of how Jesus took some loaves and fishes and multiplied them many times over and fed this vast crowd of people, thousands of people. And then we have a story also in the Bible of when Jesus uh, turned water into wine at a wedding ceremony and provided uh, there. So this is one of a number of stories that we have in the Bible. And maybe you have your own story of how the Lord has provided uh, food for you in a time of need. Have you got God all figured out about how he's going to work? I'd be the first to say I don't have him figured out. We don't always know how God's going to meet our need, but he's promised to meet our needs. Look at what it says here in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. A number of years ago, I was reading a, a magazine, a Christian magazine, and it had an article in it um, by a, a missionary to Africa whose name was Walter Arnold. And he told the story about when he and his family, uh, he and his wife, and they had, I think, three young children, were over in Africa. And uh, they had this old, beat-up car that they were using. And the roads there uh, were pretty hard on cars. And this car was basically held together with duct tape and bailing wire, I think. And uh, so one night in their family devotion time, they were praying together. And Mr. Arnold just prayed, God, would you give us a car, we need a better car because this one's not gonna make it much longer. And at the end of the prayer, one of his little daughters said, and God, please make it a blue car. So that was, that was her request. So not long after they, they prayed that prayer, uh, there was this big um, conference where missionaries from all over Africa, the, the whole continent were coming together in a particular place and, and uh, Mr. Arnold was there, and, and uh, the leader of the whole conference said, hey, our guest speaker is coming, and he's flying into this airport that's uh, down the road quite a ways, and would you go pick him up? 
Mr. Arnold kind of uh, hesitated a little bit. He said, well, I'm happy to do it, but he said, I'm just not sure if my car is going to make it. And the guy said, I really need you to do it. So he, he got in his car, and he, he made it all the way to the airport, and he picked up the, the guest speaker who was from the United States. His name was Mr. Erickson. They got in his car, and they went along, and the car was just bumping along and making a lot of weird noises. And I think it sounds like the, sh the, the shocks were pretty much uh, worn out. And uh, <laughs> um, Walter Arnold, the missionary, looked over and saw the, the, the man was clutching the dashboard and, and, and the side, and his knuckles were white because he was clinging so hard. And he finally said to, to Walter, he said, uh, you need a new car. And uh, Walter said, yeah, I know I do. Um, and then shortly after that, the radiator sprung a leak, and there was just steam coming out from under the hood. They opened the hood, could actually see a gaping hole in the radiator. And uh, then Walter, the missionary, he, he saw some, uh, some huts down below the road they were on. And so he said, I'm going to go down there and see if I can find some water. So he hiked down there, and uh, he got into this village, and he was able to talk to the people. He said, hey, there's some water there. Can I buy some of that from you? And they said, we've carried that water eight kilometers. And no, it's not for sale. Um, and uh, so he looked around a little bit more, and he saw some jugs of milk. And he said, can I buy some milk? And they said, sure, we'll sell you milk. So he bought the milk. He carried the milk back up to where the car was. And Mr. Erickson said, what are you doing with milk? He said, well, um, this car takes milk, too. So he poured the milk in the radiator. And then he had some lemonade in his trunk in the back, and he poured that in, too. And I know you auto mechanics are cringing right now as you hear this story. But uh, then he thought, well, he, they noticed that the water was still just leaking out. They hadn't even started the car up again, and it was just pouring out. And so Walter um, said, um, I have some Quaker oatmeal in the back. I wonder if that would, like, clog the clogged the hole, so he poured Quaker oatmeal in the radiator. This is not my recommendation, by the way, that uh, you do this. And uh, it worked. It, it clogged the hole long enough for them to get back to where they were going. So the story doesn't end there. So the, the conference goes on, and uh, later in the week, Mr. Eric and the, Erickson, the guest speaker, said, hey, Walter, uh, have you seen your car? And Walter said, yeah, I, I parked it under that mango tree over there the day that I brought you in. I haven't moved it since. And Mr. Erickson said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. He says, your car is over there. And he pointed to a car that he had purchased for the family to use the rest of the time they were in Africa. And by the way, it was a blue car. <laughs> God provides for us. But sometimes he provides in ways that we could have never imagined that he would. Don't put God in a box that he's going to operate a certain way. Trust that, that he's going to do things in his own way, in his own time. Look at this scripture from Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? No, don't put God in a box his provision may come in a way that's very different than you imagine. Just this past week, I had a conversation uh, with Jeff Horton. Jeff is the pastor of the Shoreline Free Methodist Church, a sister church of ours uh, in the North Seattle area. In fact, Pastor Kyle used to serve on the, the staff of that church with Jeff. 
And Jeff was telling me that a while back, he and his congregation decided that they wanted to start a community garden um, that would be available for the people that lived in their neighborhood so that they could come and plant vegetables and, and just uh, benefit you know, from this community garden. And so he, they were going to build these raised boxes made out of wood. Uh, I've actually seen pictures of the boxes that he posted on Facebook. Um, and um, so he, he began to look into the, the cost of lumber to, bu to build these boxes and soon found that lumber is as many of us know, is really expensive right about now. And he was just going to get the, the, the least expensive treated lumber he could get, but still the cost was pretty astronomical. And then he remembered that he had a friend from high school that um, had a brother who owned a lumber yard. And he thought, maybe I can just you know, get a, a bargain somehow, get, get a little bit of a, uh, a percentage off if I contact this guy. So he, he called him and he said, uh, I don't know if you remember me, but I went to high school with your brother. And he said, yeah, I remember you. And he said, I'm a pastor, and this is a project that we want to do for our neighborhood. And he said, well, what do you need? And Jeff told him all that he needed. And he said, I just want you know, some kind of treated lumber. And, and the man said, uh, no, he says, you really need, you want this to last a long time. You need cedar. And uh, Jeff knew, yeah, but that was a lot more expensive. So the longer they talked, the man just said, you know what? I want to donate the whole thing to you, all the cedar lumber. Uh, and uh, it was delivered, and, the, and the, the, the things had been built already. Jeff told me that he tried to calculate the value of that lumber. Would, would he have uh, paid for it himself? It would have been about $15,000. So what an amazing provision. God loves to provide for his children. Here's a second principle that we can learn from this story. That's that the way God provides may assault your pride. Do you think it might have been a little humbling for Elijah to wait um, for his daily provision to be provided by some birds? I mean, what an odd and humbling way to, to exist. And how about asking a starving widow to share the last of her meager provisions? Seems a little audacious and presumptuous even for him to do that. Could God have done it another way? Couldn't God have done it in some way that would have seemed a little more dignified? Some way to allow Elijah the opportunity to salvage some of his self-esteem? Well, yes. But like the scripture says on the screen there from Daniel 4:37, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's certainly been the case in my life. God has humbled me many times when I have chosen not to walk in humility myself. There have been times in, in Judy's and my life and our married life when God has provided for us in ways that we never would have imagined. And yes, they were humbling. God's way is always the way of humility. Look at the scripture from James 4 and verse 6. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. You remember the story of when the people of Israel went into the land that God had promised them and they had to conquer the, the peoples that lived there. And the first town that they were to conquer was Jericho. And many of us know that story of how rather than attacking the city with weaponry, God says, I want you just to march around it day after day after day. And they had to put up with the mocking and the ridicule of the people that lived in Jericho that were shouting down from the walls. What are you doing? What a stupid strategy you guys have. Yeah, the, the way God provides 
oftentimes will assault our pride. Here's another principle we learn from this story, and that's very simply that your faith will be tested. Faith is always put to the test. Elijah knew that God had called him to live by faith, but really being fed by birds? My wife Judy, uh, for Christmas this past year, received uh, two hummingbird feeders as gifts at Christmas, and so uh, we have them set up in the back behind our house in our backyard now, and just a couple days ago, I stood there in the window for a while and watched this little hummingbird. It's just amazing how God created those things to hover the way they do, and, and um, I began to think about this story as I was watching this hummingbird, and I thought, well, I like feeding the birds. I don't know how I would like it if the, if the tables were turned, and I was being fed by the birds, but that's what was happening with Elijah here. And then this widow, she had enough for one more tiny meal. And give me some first, is what Elijah said. What a test of faith. Look with me at this scripture from the book of James, chapter 1. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Uh, I think it was eight years ago, right about now, that my wife and I were preparing for uh, the wedding of our youngest daughter, Stephanie. Our two older daughters uh, had already been married, but Stephanie was getting married, and um, the wedding was going to be held at um, Seattle First Free Methodist Church, right across from SPU. And uh, we were looking forward to it and saving money as diligently as we could as parents of the bride uh, to pay for the expenses of the wedding. And just before the wedding, we, we uh, got a notification from our bank that they needed us to contact them. And I contacted the bank, and they said, all these transfers of money from your savings to your checking account have taken place. And, and then the money was wired from your checking account to somebody in Baltimore, Maryland. Do you know anything about that? I said, no, I don't know anything about that. I didn't, I didn't do that. And so um, this was bank fraud. Someone had somehow hacked into our account and had made several transfers, each of them just for just under $1,000. There must have been some trigger went at $1,000 or over that they would contact you or whatever. So it was like 996, 994, things like that. And uh, a few thousand dollars had been stolen. And um, yeah, this, this was a testing of our faith. But God, in his mercy, uh, allowed um, us to be taken care of through the, the fraud protection plan of the bank. And in fact, this person went so far as to hack into my cell phone so that all my incoming calls went not to my phone, but went to this thief's uh, number. And we didn't find that out until um, my son tried to call me one day and realized that wasn't his dad's voice on the other end, and that's how we, we figured it out. So. Um, an amazing test of our faith, but God in his mercy provided for us in that time. You know, perhaps you are a new Christian. Maybe you just recently put your faith in the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And after you did that, you ran into some troubles, some struggles in your life. Uh, well, welcome to the club. Uh, it happens to those of us that follow Jesus, just like it happens to, to other people too. But in our case, it's a testing of our faith. Maybe you took a step of faith in, in terms of, of giving to the Lord's work. Maybe you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tithe. I'm going to give first 10% of my income to the Lord's work. 
that there'll, there'll be a test that'll come to you as you do that. Um, maybe the transmission goes out in your car or the furnace breaks down or something happens. Are you going to continue to trust the Lord in moments like that? Your faith will be put to the test. Look with me at the scripture from uh, the book of Isaiah, or First Peter, rather. It says, now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so we're reminded that our, our faith will always be put to the test. Let's move on to, a, to another principle that we learned from this story of Elijah. And that's that you are in a position of daily dependence on God. Now, you might not like that, and you might not even be willing to admit it, but it's true. This story of Elijah is a picture of you and me, because we're all dependent upon God. Jesus' disciples, remember, you might remember that he, they asked him one day, how, do, how should we pray? And he gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer, and included in the Lord's Prayer are these words from Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. It's important that we see the wording that Jesus used here. He didn't say, give us this month, our monthly bread, or this week, or this year. No, it's a daily thing, daily dependence upon the Lord. We're familiar with a document called the Declaration of Independence. But maybe it's time we wrote our own de Declaration of Dependence. Say, God, I'm dependent upon you. I need you. The breath that you just took, the last breath that you took, that was a gift from God. He gave that to you. And the next one he, that you take will be another gift from him. What I found is that God, to keep us in a place of understanding our dependence on him, will oftentimes change the means that he provides for us through. That's what he did with Elijah here. Elijah kind of got into this routine after a while. Yes, it was humbling at first to have the ravens bring him the food. And, but after a while, he thought, yeah, this is kind of a nice arrangement here. Two deliveries a day from UPS, United Parakeet Service. And, uh, you know, they bring me my food. And, yeah, okay, this is a good way of living. And then the Bible says that the ravens stopped. And the brook he was drinking from dried up. Now what? Elijah might have thought, God, um, did you forget me here? And God said, no, I have a new plan for you. The new plan is to go to this village, and we read the story, how, how things changed. Elijah might have thought, you know, that can't be the voice of God. Because God never, doesn't change, so his method of providing for me is always going to be the same. Well, the, the lesson we learn from this is if we get stuck in a rut, we just might starve. I mean, that's true in a physical sense in this story, but it's true in our spiritual life as well. And it's true in our life together as a church family. When we get stuck in ruts, there's danger there. While it's true that God never changes in his character and his attributes, God is always doing new things. He's a creative God. He's doing new things. Isaiah 43 is a scripture we'll look at next, verses 18 and 19. God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. 
See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? As individuals, we need to hear this. As families, we need to hear this. And as a church family, we need to hear this. Someone might say, well, I I know how God moves because I remember how God moved back in 1994. Well, praise God for what he did in 1994. But let me remind you, it's 2022 now, and God's up to some new things. We need to be careful because God may be pointing us in new directions. Will we follow him? Will we do what God says just as Elijah did here? God never changes, but to keep us dependent upon him and not on some uh, system or some program, he will call us to new ways and new approaches all the time. God will still be the one that's providing for you, but he may just bring it through a different means. And that brings us to the next principle we learn from this story, and that's that simple obedience, even when it doesn't make sense, puts you in a place to see God move. For this woman, this this widow that had an encounter with Elijah, it was when she simply obeyed. It didn't make sense to her. Why would she give the last of her food to, to, to this man? But when she did what the Lord told her through Elijah, she saw the miracle took place. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, you see it on the screen. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. This is to the, the people of Israel, but it's a promise to you and me too. If we obey him, God will do remarkable things. Simple obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. There are many commands in the Bible that we can look at, and some of which we might say, well, yeah, that was then, but this is now. God is timeless, and his his, uh, covenants with us and his promises to us remain the same. When you obey anyway, even when it doesn't make sense to you, you'll see the hand of God at work. God is looking for people who will simply obey him. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29 says this. It's, it's the word of God himself. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. And then in the book of Joshua, we read these words. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. But I want us to bring, bring us to one final principle before we move into our time of communion together this morning. And that's a reminder that your greatest need has already been met. When I started my talk today, I asked you to consider what the greatest need in your life might be right now. And I don't know what came to your mind, and I don't want to diminish the importance of that because I'm sure it is important. But I want you to know that your most desperate need is to be saved from your sins, to be made right with God, to be forgiven. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Each and every one of us needs to acknowledge the fact that there's a separation between us and God that's been caused by our own sinfulness. But God, in his mercy, has provided for that need to be met. 
And that's what we'll be honoring and celebrating in our time of communion together this morning. Friends, you need a Savior, and God has provided for you. Romans 5 and verse 6 is the scripture on the screen. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. What you need, when you need it, God has provided. And there's one more scripture. I, I don't have it on the screen behind me, but one more scripture I'd like to conclude with. It reminds us that if God took care of our greatest need, Can't we trust him for all the other needs that we face in life? Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The story we've looked at today is a picture of you and me, people in desperate need and a people that God has provided for. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have included this amazing story in the pages of of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, that as we read the story of Elijah, we can be reminded of your Father's heart towards us, your desire to meet our needs. And Lord, I pray that as we have considered this story today, our faith would be built up so that we can trust you for the needs we face in our life. And Lord, I pray if there be any here in this room today or or watching online that have a need to acknowledge you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day they say, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and Lord in my life. And that all of us, Lord, will learn to trust you in the way that Elijah did in this great story. In Jesus' name, amen.